everybody, and welcome to an FA Cup special weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. On the other end of the line, it's a man who knows all the tennis. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay-Tay. I do know some of the tennis. That's as far as I'll go. So are we going Are we going total tennis show today? Is that how we're going to do it now that I, uh, apparently that's taken over your entire life? Yeah, let's talk about racket sports. To give this some context, I am covering some tennis on the other side of the world right now, mm-hmm. and it is keeping me up and, and depriving me of sleep, which is fun. Genuine question for like uh, being deprived of sleep, having to stay up late to cover a, a, an event. Would you rather cover tennis late night or would you rather cover the FA Cup late night? Which would be more interesting to you? FA Cup because it's the game I like much more than tennis. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, but I, I asked that question because we are going to be talking FA Cup today, uh, some of the the games of interest. I'm not going to say the shock upsets or anything like that because I don't think there were any too too big of results. But we wanted to start with sort of the conversation that has been doing the rounds for the last, I want to say, 400 years when it comes to the FA Cup, which is how long, I think, how old that competition is. <laughs> it's essentially, yep. has it really lost the magic? Because we heard, I mean, I'm sure you heard growing up, I heard, sort of in my 20s, the magic of the cup and how exciting it was. And I imagine there was a time when it was in a very exciting competition. These days, it doesn't feel quite uh, like that. Ryan, do you still agree with that? That it maybe doesn't feel quite as uh, special as it used to? Do you know there's that moment when you're growing up when Christmas Day doesn't feel quite as spectacular as it used to? Yes. It's just another day at some point, isn't it? I think I've kind of reached that this year with the FA Cup because when I was a kid, I very much, uh, I was a very big part of the narrative of the FA Cup being very magic. I think as a, as a Wimbledon fan, when we were in the 90s, it was a huge part of uh, our season. Some of the best games I've been to are FA Cup games. My best soccer memories, in fact, a, a particular game in the 96-97 season where we played Manchester United and knocked the holders of said competition out of the cup. That was one of my finest soccer memories. But I sat down on Saturday morning, fired up ESPN Plus, just scrolling through, and I just felt a bit underwhelmed. I just felt, I'm not sure which one of these or any of these I want to watch, if I'm honest. And maybe we're spoiled, we've been spoiled because we've had a lot of festive fixtures to deal with and a lot of high quality entertainment in the past few weeks. And I just felt a little bit like, I don't really fancy any of these matchups. I know the big teams in this competition are going to be fielding weakened sides. I know it's going to be scrappy and there's going to be some playoff fields I'm going to have to look at. And then you look at the, when you flick around these games, Taylor, you look at the stadiums there. um, There was footage from Birmingham and from Swansea where they had like one stand open. Even the fans aren't going along. One of my best friends at home is a Millwall fan. And I, I was texting him during the Millwall game. I was watching it. I was saying, so can I see you? Because there's about 10 people in this stadium right now. And he was like, no, I'm at home. I was like, why? He said, oh, I never go to the third round of the FA Cup. I was like, okay, (laughs) this this guy's a season ticket holder who goes to every game. He doesn't even bother show up to the third round anymore. He will maybe only go when Millwall, his team, who have never been a Premier League team, only when it gets a bit spicier in this competition. So... I don't know. How do you feel about it? Am I just being a bit of a grouch about this? No, I, I don't think so. And I want to get into sort of why maybe it's lost some of the luster, why it's not quite the appointment TV that maybe it was before or appointment mm. uh, in-person viewing experience. But I wanted to, to go back to your initial point about what it was for you, because I think for a lot of Americans who obviously did not grow up supporting like a lower level team, a lot of people tend to pick a team that resonates with them for whatever reason. Those tend to be the ones on TV. So you have a lot of people who like Premier League teams, maybe some teams who've been relegated out. But you, Ryan, are coming from a unique experience 
experience of kind of supporting a team that has been up and down, has had highs and lows. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, like, why was it so special for you growing up? Why did you have that sort of memory of the FA Cup? What was it that for people who maybe have never been to an FA Cup game or certainly never been to a game when the FA Cup still sort of really mattered to people, why was it this unique experience? I think for a team like Wimbledon, who I support, We've always had an underdog mentality, and I think when you get lower league teams who come up against big teams in this competition, that's what it is. It's the underdog. There's no bigger thrill like the game I mentioned, knocking the holders of the FA Cup out of the FA Cup when you're a tiny team like Wimbledon. And I get that I'm being grouchy about this because we're spoilt with watching top flight soccer, particularly in this country where we can watch as much as we like. But think of like a Rochdale fan. They're struggling in League One. They mm. might get relegated. They're battling with Wimbledon to get relegated, in fact, at the moment. And, you know, taking, taking Newcastle to a draw and getting a second leg out of that, that could pay, that second leg could pay their wage bill for a year. It's huge for them and it's huge for those fans. But I know that, that's just the other side of the coin, I guess. And I've forgotten your original question now, but uh. <laughs> no, just what, why it was like, what that atmosphere was like, why it felt so special to you as a youngster. And I feel like I feel like you've given us a good picture. Yeah, I think of it what... was it was it was the underdog thing, but also the FA Cup was special. It just felt mm. a bit more special. And I think a lot of it was FA Cup final day. It was it was appointment viewing. It really was appointment viewing. It was. The whole day was dedicated to it. The BBC coverage of the tournament, uh, of the final, sorry, at Wembley would start at like 8am for a 3pm kickoff. They drag it out. It was such a huge day. Nothing else happened on that day, that weekend even. And now, when when a few years back when they started doing it at, say, a 5.30 kickoff and they had other sl- another slate of games on the same day, it just diminished it, I think. And I think slowly we've seen it sort of ebb away in terms of importance. And that's that's kind of sad, I suppose, but it's also progress. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I. Wait, why do you say it's progress? <sighs> I don't know. Money's driving <laughs> things towards other things, I suppose. Like, and, and you look at say, say like Newcastle, who always flood in this competition, and they know darn well they're not going to devote too much energy to it because it doesn't make them any money. Right. All that makes them money is finishing mid-table and staying in the Premier League. They don't care about these ancillary cup competitions. And I think there's going to be more and more attitudes like that, where it's important for the Rochdales of this world, but not very important for the middling to lower. Uh, top flight sides that, that makes sense to me because those middling to lower like like league one teams who still found a way to get results this weekend aren't going to have a lot of the opportunities that uh, like that premier league clubs have and even those premier league clubs who have the opportunity to play in the europa league tend to treat that as a burden rather than a possibility because mm. it means fixture congestion it means you're playing a lot more minutes it means it's a lot of travel but it also means you can't necessarily focus on the domestic competition where you need to stay in order to continue to make massive amounts of money off of that tv contract so i think you're always going to kind of have this situation now of premier league teams especially like like top 10 or so top half of the table teams that like we had this question last week forgive me for jumping around a little bit but we had this question last week about like who's the biggest team that could conceivably get relegated in the next five years and daryl and i thought about it for a while and kind of the answer was basically the teams that you kind of expect um i mean because even arsenal though like they could have a terrible season but you bring in a new manager you get a little bit of a bounce you kind of do some basic stuff you're going to have a deep enough squad to make your way through to at least finishing top half. Whereas, and so I think you look at the FA Cup and these teams are kind of in that same position of Mm -hmm. we can play kind of younger kids who will 
maybe get the job done. And if they don't, they don't. We hopefully avoid a replay. But if they do, then that's great. And we're kind of bringing more young players through. But I, I think you're going to have those kind of top half teams don't need to play their best teams and they can still do okay. But simultaneously, if they're not playing their best teams, then you're not going to have that sort of, oh, we got we knocked Manchester United out of this cup competition. It means so much to us. And that of that statement in of itself is sort of a bygone era. Uh, but like we knocked out Man City. Maybe that doesn't matter as much if you're a top half championship team and you're playing Man City's reserves. Same goes for Liverpool. So I think as long as you have the bigger clubs definitely publicly, obviously devaluing it by not playing their start, like their strongest 11s, and I understand why they won't, it, it automatically has that feel of like, okay, so this is not quite as important, still certainly more important than the League Cup, but definitely not as much as it used to seem. Yeah, definitely not. And I think you can even trace that death knell of the FA Cup for the bigger teams back to 20 years ago, back to Manchester United. Remember that season after yes. they won the treble where they decided not to enter the FA Cup because they wanted to do the Club World Cup instead, uh, which I think you can probably do both, but they decided uh, that was their, their approach. And I think ever since then, there's always been this inkling that it's not as important a competition. And and you mentioned there about replays, and that's something that's going to come up because we've got a few replays coming up mm-hmm. and with Wolves Man United as well. I think neither side needs a replay out of that. Look at Wolves in particular. They've they've already got a Europa League campaign to deal with. And it's just they haven't got the thickest squad, thickest squad, the deepest squad in, <laughs> in, in, the, uh, in the league. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, to compete in the league and to have that competition and another, you know, an extra uh, fixture on the schedule is not great. So I, I suggest there may be some changes coming to this competition if it is to survive as a top class competition. Yeah, I think we we had uh, some people asking about that on Twitter, and I think Daryl was pointing out there was once like a six replay uh, festivity where they kept, just kept having to go back and forth. I can't imagine that really uh, is going to be a thing that people ever want to have. Well, they uh, used to replay again. the final as well, didn't they? Exactly. Yeah. So they have a final like, on, a, on a weekday at Hillsborough. It's a bit <laughs> underwhelming. Wow. Yeah, so I feel like maybe we'll move towards like just a direct penalty shootout at some point in order to like get these games down. Maybe that's just what the FA Cup should be. It should just be automatic shootouts, and that's how you advance. And then nobody gets fatigued. You can put your best takers in. I think I've, so- I've solved this, Ryan. Oh, what if we just didn't play the competition at all, or any soccer, and we all just got uh-huh. on with our lives and did something else? Okay, that's a possibility. That's that a possibility. Work. Now you may have, may, may, maybe you've wandered into the cynical take era. I'm talking us out of the job here as well, to be fair. <laughs> um, well, let's stick with that uh, Wolves-Man United game for a moment, uh, because yeah. it, it was, even for me, a Man United fan, going back and watching, I somehow, I told Daryl this, I somehow thought it was on Sunday afternoon, so I was already... And then the game had already happened, so that was confusing for me. Uh, but going back and watching, it was tough. It was not a fun game. There were a couple highlight moments on both sides. I think Man United, like the biggest highlight for them, which is actually quite a low light, is not putting a shot on frame. Um, and I know for you, this sort of uh, was, having already talked about Man United and what it meant to beat them in the past, maybe not quite such an impressive uh, feat this time around? Yeah, definitely not. And I think that's a big part of it that I think, Gave Wolves advantage here. Mm. Manchester United aren't feared anymore. No, I think and I guess I should clarify. I'm, I'm talking about this as though Man United managed uh, to lose again to Wolves. They did not. It was the nil-nil <laughs> draw. But it's they, still they lost nil-nil. It's still exactly because they have the replay and because it was a kind of underwhelming performance against a team that have been a bogey team for them. Uh, but yeah, it, it still sort of did not seem like okay. Teams are sort of fearing this uh, this club anymore. Yeah, definitely not. And by the way, the only thing I can think of worse than watching this game live as I did is watching it on replay as oh, yeah. you did. So <laughs> I feel bad for you oh, now. I thought boy. that 
the soccer gods were punishing us for having to sit through this one. That maybe has affected my mood and the opening gambit of this podcast <laughs> as well, to be fair. But United were terrible. I think I saw a stat saying it's the first time since 2015 they haven't had a shot on target in a yep. domestic game. Obviously, an inexperienced front line here and a lot of inexperience um, throughout the team as well. Uh, Harry Maguire, he has some experience, but doesn't seem to be using it terribly well Not in, much. in recent games. Um, I don't know. Does this, does this inspire you at all as a Manchester United supporter? I mean, they didn't lose to Wolves, so that's a start. They tend that's to true. do that. They, they haven't they beaten be them, was it? Five games and haven't beaten them yet in, yeah, five, in the last five. I believe so. So, mm. I mean, I, that, I guess that could be a positive, but no, I, I think the kind of... I'll go on the personal Man United rant for a moment and just say that like this season has been a lot of like one step forward and maybe like one to one and a half steps back. And so every time it feels like there's progress being made, you have games like this in which there's not a lot of cohesion in the attack. There don't seem to be new ideas. There don't seem to be sort of uh, second, third, fourth plans for when the game is sort of uh, potentially there or potentially needs to be seen out. It, it just was kind of representative of the way things have been uh, under Solskjaer, but under a lot of different managers uh, for Manchester United the past few years. So yeah, I'm not surprised to see the team that uh, look like a more cohesive, organized unit with a plan. No, they don't win. This would be Wolves. But I think for sort of a, a game in which Nuno definitely seemed to have that vibe of like, yeah, I mean, it's exciting to play Man United and it's the FA Cup, but also we got to focus on other things. I think he yeah. probably wanted to avoid the replay too, but kind of having that mentality... And being able to have that mentality, I guess a club like Manchester United is a sign of where things are, both for Wolves and for United. Yeah, I think it's a frustrating thing about this game as well, is because I don't think we can learn an awful lot from it because Wolves no. made four changes, United made seven. It doesn't feel like this fits in the form book. It doesn't. It's not. It's not Wolves Man United canon. This this game. All frankly. right, I'm fine with that. We can we can have it stricken <laughs> from the record. Uh, there will be other yeah. games that I think people will not want to have removed from the record. One of those would be the Merseyside Derby FA Cup uh, tie, uh, yeah. which went to Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool with a one 0 win over Everton, um, and uh, I think we've both got some thumbs for this game as we intermittently do, but uh, I think the kind of resounding narrative of children versus men and children winning uh, is pretty accurate here. Yeah, Bill Shankly, the famous Bill Shankly, said that this city has two great teams, Liverpool and Liverpool Reserves. And nowhere was this more clear than this uh, than in this matchup with a lot of uh, kids, obviously, um, coming out for Liverpool in this one. And Everton still having a pretty much a full-strength team yep. on offer. The, the uh, stat here, Liverpool starting lineup costs £43 million, Everton's £222 million. Yeah. And... This is this isn't a dig on Everton as much as it is a credit to Jurgen Klopp who gets a massive, massive thumbs up for this because the fact that he can inspire more chemistry in this team than uh, than Carlo Ancelotti can get out of uh, a full strength Everton team, and this is a Carlo Ancelotti who's had a lot of success against Liverpool with Napoli in recent years. That says a lot about Jurgen Klopp, and I've got a quote here from the Dion Dublin. Former Manchester United striker DM Dublin, who uh, who's mm-hmm. compared Jurgen Klopp to Sir Alex Ferguson, and he says by, by that I mean that he's running the club from top to bottom. He's making sure the academy football is being played the same as the first team. When they come through, they know their jobs and they know where to be, who to listen to. And I think that's important because that speaks to how Jurgen Klopp can take a team like this and get such a good result, despite mm-hmm. a lot of them being youth players and uh, and having uh, less chemistry than his normal starting eleven. 
Yeah, and, and and I think if you look at like those two coaches for a moment, you've got Klopp, you've got Ancelotti, and Ancelotti is sort of the old old school or older school uh, type coach who I think sort of doesn't necessarily concern himself with all that's going on in the locker room. I quote the quote that I saw out of context, but still uh, was him saying like, "I guess I'm gonna have to like, or I'm gonna talk to these players after the game. It's not what I usually do, but like some words need to be had, something along those lines." But just the idea that he wouldn't have otherwise like talked to his players seems like the polar opposite of Jurgen Klopp, who is never not hugging someone, it seems, is always sort of <laughs> che- like cheering people on, pushing his players to do more, to do better, to be better. And I think it absolutely resonates so that when you have a team of youngsters who, uh, what the average age was five years younger than their Everton counterparts, lots of teenagers in there, uh, James Milner has to be subbed off, on comes more teenagers, uh, that they're able to sort of still play the same system and more impressively grow into the game because it, it certainly could have been like three or four nil to Everton at one point. Everton missed some chances, should have done much better. And then I think really kind of because of those misses gave Liverpool some momentum. But the, the hunting in packs, the playing together, the taking their chances, it was all sort of things we've seen from Liverpool this season. It was really similar to the Liverpool senior team of you find a way to win, you grind the result. Maybe it's a moment of like beauty as it was in this game. Maybe it's a fortunate VAR call that didn't necessarily happen in this one. But just sort of the way Liverpool ended up getting this result felt very familiar to the way they've gotten results this entire season. Yeah, definitely. And I think this was a huge missed opportunity for Everton. I have to give oh, a thumbs down for this one because they had some great chances, as you say, in the first half to get uh, to, to get a result. There could have been a couple of goals up were it not for Adrian, who put in a superb performance. His legs seem to be doing a yep. really good shift in saving a lot of shots in this one. And you know, this, as I say, this is a huge opportunity. Ancelotti knows his record against Liverpool. He had a much stronger side on paper uh, relative to Liverpool here. And it's just they, they didn't take advantage of it at all. They they were up to absolutely nothing, basically, in the second half. And it was pretty poor. Wasn't much link-up play going on. It just seemed like... Well, there's there's a... I think Alan Shearer said on BBC, he said there was times in the second half when Dominic Calvert-Lewin, uh, you know, he, he flicked it on and there was no one within 40 or 50 yards of him. It's kind of true, isn't it? It's yeah. It, it just seemed like a pretty disjointed performance from him. And you mentioned about Ancelotti ha- having to have a word with them in the locker room afterwards. If I was him, I would have gone a bit Ramsey Bolton, Game of Thrones, and just <laughs> shut them all in a room with Duncan Ferguson for an hour. That'd be torture. <laughs> I mean, I, I I forgot that deleted scene when Duncan Ferguson is involved with Ramsey Bolton, but uh, but I'm gonna have to go back and <laughs> he inspired look at the it. character. You do know that, right? <laughs> That's a way to go. That's a way to go, and maybe that is what Everton require because it does seem like this club uh, are still in a sort of lackluster, lack of motivation uh, period, and they and more than anything, don't seem to have that confidence to really back themselves to when things don't quite go their way to find a way to get a goal, to find a way to make something happen, to be able to kind of pull themselves back in. Again, it really just added out to me how dominant Everton were for those first like 30 or so minutes yep. and then how it just kind of completely flipped. And and that's not what I would have expected in a game that featured a lot of youngsters and a lot of changes for Liverpool versus a more or less senior team for Everton. For it to go the way it did definitely has to be disconcerting for the blue side of Liverpool. For the red side, I think maybe things even rosier than they already were just because you did have, in addition to the youngsters playing, you had Adam Lallana playing a big role here. You had yeah. uh, uh, Minamino making his, his, I believe, his debut for Liverpool and looking just fine. Yeah, he was good. He, he had 22 passes attempted, 18 completed, 17 passes in the opposition half. He had a shot and I think he had that header that nearly he nearly connected with as well. Um, he he was pretty good. I, I was impressed. I thought Lallana was fantastic. He was absolutely running that midfield, wasn't he? But 
Let's give a credit to players, a thumbs up to players we'd never heard of before this weekend, but who are now household names. Curtis Jones yep. getting that goal uh, in the 71st minute. What a banger. Can you imagine being a Liverpool youth prospect, grown up in Liverpool, and you get your debut no. at Anfield in the Merseyside derby, yeah. and you score the winner with basically the most perfect possible shot you could take from that position in the field. There's no better way to hit it than the way he did. No, there's not. And, and and it's worth noting, like, the way he's calling for it, the way he's gesturing, the way he shapes to shoot, he knows what he's doing the whole time. So maybe yeah. it is a thing that he's, he'd practiced in his mind so many times that he just saw that moment and, and lived it expertly. Uh, but no, I cannot imagine. I mean, I can't imagine because, yes, that was, like, the daydream of scoring the game-winning goal. Somehow there was always, like, as the clock expired. I don't know how that would always work in my fantasy. This one, not quite that way. But just the goal <laughs> itself, the way it tings off the underside of the bar, the way oh, he hits it, it from distance and gets the bend on it, it it is a phenomenal goal, and now you just have to hope that he kind of continues to do that if you're a Liverpool fan, as opposed to sort of those those one-hit wonders, that goal that then maybe we don't hear anything from him for like four more years until he's like on loan at Tranmere or playing for Tranmere or something like that. So let's yeah. hope that doesn't happen with Curtis Jones. I saw a headline from Curtis Jones who was interviewed, and it was words to the effect of, I get really frustrated and I really need Jürgen Klopp to give me more minutes. And I was thinking... You're 18. You're trying to get into the best team in the world. Settle down, Curtis Jones. You're going to get your moment. I thought he was very good. And also, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Harvey Elliott as well. I Mm -hmm. thought it was really, really good uh, young talent as well. There was a particular moment, I think, in the first half where he sort of cut a ball inside to Origi along the floor. And it was an unconventional way of getting the ball to him on the floor. And Origi had had a really good effort from it as well. And I thought it was oh, lovely, lovely soccer. So uh, more good times uh, for Liverpool, fewer good times for Everton. Uh, We're going to continue to talk FA Cup as well as some action in Spain, some action in Italy. Uh, But first, uh, Ryan, we should talk a little bit about today's sponsor, our friends at HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. You can get mouthwatering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with HelloFresh. Yes, you can indeed. They cut out the stressful meal planning and prepping so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just 30 minutes or even 20 minutes with their quick recipe options. You're a 20-minute guy or a 30-minute guy, Taylor? How do you feel? I think I, I tend to uh, slow it down, so I feel like I'm a 30 minute uh, Ooh, cooker, yeah. even though I would prefer to be to be faster. But I, I guess I'm I, I slow it down. I take my time. I couldn't uh, do like the Jurgen Klopp style of cooking, which I feel slow like is very intense, uh, very all over the place. But somehow it ends up working, uh, and I think that works for Jurgen Klopp. If that doesn't wait, work for you, then you can break out of your dinner rut with HelloFresh's 22 plus seasonal chef curated recipes each week. So if you are sort of trying to stick with the resolution. Eat Eat better, cook more, have better ingredients, whatever you want to go with. HelloFresh can do all of those things. HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kits. Mm-hmm. You know you get something delicious. By the way, a little stat they've thrown in here. The average trip to the grocery store takes 41 minutes. Not when you've got little kids, I might add. That's yep. over 35 hours a year if you go once a week. And the source of that stat is the Time Institute. What is the Time Institute, Taylor? What do they do? <laughs> the, the, I guess they just time all things all the time. I, I hope that is a place where you can just submit, like, it took me seven minutes to get to work today, and then that's the <laughs> official time for that day from now on. Noted. Uh, I also, like, 41 minutes seems short to me. I, I, can't, I don't think, short of going in with a list of, like, three things and really sticking to that list, I can't think of a time I've spent fewer than, like, 40 minutes in a grocery store, and that's just being in there. That's not including the drive. So 
HelloFresh de- definitely does save you, and I imagine it also saves your budget because if you're like me, you wander around the aisles, you add some stuff to the cart, suddenly you've spent uh, considerably more than you meant to. So if you don't want to do that, instead, if you want HelloFresh to uh, send those meals right to your door, you can do that. And they're now basically $5.66 per serving, which is a decent value. So, Ryan, if people want to uh, check out HelloFresh, see what they have on offer, take advantage of things, how can they do so? Oh, well, what you do, Taylor, is you mm-hmm. go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS10. That's that HelloFresh.com slash TSS10. Use the code TSS10 during HelloFresh's New Year sale for 10 free meals, including shipping. We're already saying these meals only cost $5.66 per serving. You're mm-hmm. going to get 10 free on top of that, baby. Woo-hoo. What can, more can you ask? And, oh... No, no more trips to the grocery store. Wonderful. Love it. <laughs> so go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS10. Use code TSS10 during HelloFresh's New Year's sale for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring our episode, our FA Cup review episode. Plus Thanks to the Time well. Institute, too, by the way. And the Time Institute, of course. We, we must always uh, appreciate the Time Institute, which does sound slightly sinister, but I'm going to assume it's not. Uh, <laughs> I very much enjoyed uh, Rochdale's 1-1 draw with Newcastle. Mm. This game was... Interesting and fascinating and confusing in lots of different ways. Rochdale near the bottom of League One. Newcastle missing, I believe, 10 outfield players. There were some twists and turns. There were lots and lots of misses. Joe Linton could have had at least two, uh, as could Rochdale midfielder Ollie Rathbone, who had a great chance to seal this one but couldn't take it at the very end. He had a couple more uh, chances but had a very good game overall. Ryan, uh, what were your takeaways from this one? What did you find particularly interesting? Firstly, the most interesting thing is these teams had never played before. That was strange, right? In the history of soccer, they had no head-to-head history. I thought, that's bizarre. How Newcastle never played Rochdale before? Amazing. Newcastle get relegated all the time. You'd think they'd meet. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> one thing I did learn is, obviously, Rochdale, as I mentioned, are in a League One relegation battle with my team, AFC Wimbledon. We mm-hmm. beat Rochdale 3-2 early this season. Therefore, we're better than Newcastle. So we've established that. That's Perfect. good. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Joe Linton would get into the Wimbledon side at the moment. Oh, my goodness. He did not have a good game, did he? No. At a time when, like, like Christian Atsu came in, like, destroyed the Rochdale defense, uh, forced a substitution inside the first 30 minutes, I believe, because his defender was getting absolutely shredded. He looked very dominant. Miguel Almiron uh, scores again, I believe, subs off with injury, so there are concerns there. Newcastle already having lots of injury uh, issues. But Almiron, mm. able to get a goal, able to continue to play well. Joe Linton looked the way Joel Linton has looked this season, and I don't really understand what is happening or why. Maybe it is just the lack of form, and once you don't have form, you don't have confidence. Once you don't have confidence, you're never going to take your chances particularly cleanly. But as I said, he could have had two, at least three goals in this one, uh, or two, maybe three goals in I'd this one. Three. Instead, nothing. I say three, and uh, the, the, the critics can say, or the, the counter argument is that he's being asked to be a number nine, and that's yeah. not necessarily what he is. But on the same time, if I'm being paid a lot of money to play soccer, I would want my shot not to be a pathetic P roller that goes three yards wide of the bar from inside the box, uh, yes. wide of the post. Sorry, <laughs> there was a really there was a really pathetic looking shot that you know even in a rec league you go, come on, you got to put that on target. There was sort of that, uh, he had the sort of really soft shot on the turn. It's like he just doesn't hit the ball very hard. Yeah. That's what I've noticed about him. Yeah, which which is like, to your point, like, yes, if you're playing a player out of position, if they're fundamentally not sure what's being after them or how to do it, it's it's going to lead to some confusion. But that he's had as much time as he's had, as many games. 
lives he's had and still cannot find a way to really get things going. It makes me like I really was watching this game thinking like, is is he just bad? Like, is this is this one of those situations when a player just hit the right form, got this move, and then suddenly it fell off? Or is he one who maybe just the system with Newcastle doesn't fit him? I really I don't have an answer for you, but I I don't really understand why things have gone the way they have for him. Yeah, it's it's very odd, isn't it? And let's give some credit to um, um, yeah. Aaron Wilbraham, by the way, Rochdale. Mm-hmm. They put in a great performance here. They had loads of good chances. You say they nearly wrapped it up with a winner at the end. But um, uh, Aaron Wilbraham is 40 years old. He is. As we've established there. Uh, he is only five years older than Sean and Matt, five, five years younger than Sean and Matty Longstaff's dad. Wow. <laughs> Oh, that's ridiculous and amazing. Uh, that that was amazing. Uh, he scores the equalizer. Uh, I do love that the assist comes from Luke Matheson, who's 16 years old, I believe has been with Rochdale his entire career. Um, but for him, 16-year-old, to kind of play in a great ball for a 40-year-old to finish. Uh, and Matheson did look very, very good. Uh, I thought he was really impressive in this game. Wilbur- Wilbraham taking his chance, uh, doing well there. But the, the assist from Matheson had me thinking, like that might be a player that we see get a move sometime in the next year or so to a maybe slightly larger club yeah 56 year old combined goal there from assistant score that's not that's, that averages out yeah that's that does okay. all right yeah that does average out uh what are your expectations for for the replay of this one because it is as i said newcastle uh, i think amaran subs out with injury muto as well so their current injury list i think is now like at 12 outfield players maybe 12 yeah. players total how do you think they deal with this return leg especially given that with the injuries they have i also feel like there's a chance that they could be in a bit of a relegation scrap fairly soon do you think we see kind of more of the same from them of a combination reserve squad and Premier League team? Do you see, think we see a dominant team because they want to get some sort of momentum going? Or is it going to be entirely experimental? All logic dictates that Newcastle should win this at home against Rochdale. Doesn't it? Yep. I think as I touched on at the top of the show, Rochdale can treat this as a, a, a payday. Getting, you know, they'll get half the gate receipts from St. James's Park. That's going to be huge for them. Yep. As I say, that will easily pay their wage bill for the year. Provided um, all the stands are open, yes. Provided they are, I mean, even even when Newcastle were dire, the fans do turn up to their credit. So I think mm. they should, uh, they should, they should be okay there. As for Newcastle and their form, and I still, I still think they will probably get through this game begrudgingly because they don't like, as I mentioned, they don't really like these cup competitions. But they're yeah. winless in the last four games. They're five points from safety in the league. I'm not worried about them getting relegated because I still think there's probably three worse teams. And I think we've seen enough good performances from Steve Bruce side this season to show that they can pull themselves out of it. Are you are you on board with that? Yeah, I think I think that that makes a decent amount of sense to me. So I, I, I take your point there. And I think it's a solid point. Well done, Ryan Bailey. Uh, while we're talking about teams that can be happy with some of the results, we should talk about some other big uh, games here. I'd say Fulham with a 2-1 to win over Aston Villa. Scott Parker in charge there. Uh, I think for American fans of Fulham to see them sort of clicking, beating a Premier League team, uh, maybe a sign that the Fulham have sort of righted the ship from where they were at this time last year. Sorry, I was drinking. Yes, I agree. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other any other results uh, stand out to you, Ryan? Yeah, can we have a little talk about Middlesbrough against Spurs? This was I uh, a result I wasn't expecting. Uh, Middlesbrough mm. being coached by Jonathan Woodgate, he who scored the winning goal the last time Spurs won a trophy, the League Cup in two thousand eight. Um, this was a pretty strong starting eleven for Tottenham. I don't think they had really an excuse for not getting a result here. It wasn't a terrible performance. 
I thought there was some there was some good stuff going on here. They just weren't very aggressive in the final third. Harry Winks doing his um, sideways passes special. But Jose Mourinho got the opportunity in to have a complaint about we're playing without a striker. Of we're course. played with six attacking strikers, but no striker, he said. Don't understand that quote, but okay, Jose. Um, sort of sketching over the fact that Lucas Moura, who looked pretty dangerous in this game, could probably fill the role. And he's got Hyung Min Sun as well. He's just trying to call out for some transfer budget mm. here. But at the same time, you know, Jonathan Woodgate, he had Paddy McNair playing centre-back. Louis van Gaal's Man United's Paddy McNair, I believe. Um, uh, you are correct. Out, out of position. I think he had another, he had another midfielder in, in, in defence as well. So he, you know, they, they had some injury issues, possibly more so than Tottenham. So I think that negates uh, Mourinho's excuses a little bit. And as always, Serge Aurier is the villain here. 88th minute, he had a horrible miss he put into Rosie that could have won it and could have um, got us all to carry on with the rest of our lives instead of having a replay. It does feel like a weekly weekly segment we could do of like Serge Aurier makes a mistake. We could probably talk about that. We could probably mm. talk about uh, Robbie Keane being an assistant for Middlesbrough. Did not know that until I, know that. I saw his shocked face when uh, when Middlesbrough equalized yeah. or excuse me went ahead. Uh, yeah, he he kind of turned and looked at Gareth Southgate or not Gareth Southgate. That would be very very wrong. Jonathan Woodgate. Too many gates in your England <laughs> uh, gates. in your England teams. We well, uh, know that Middlesbrough was his boyhood club. He's loved since he was there. You know, oh, of course, yeah, of course. Uh, he had. He did a lot of uh, team supporting when he was when he was a kid. I guess if you actually are just a Fairweather fan as a child, you technically did support them as your boyhood club. So I guess it works. So maybe just jump around a lot, and you can say that with a straight face if you need to. Sure, but you don't need to. <laughs> but you don't need to. Um, <laughs> also, also worth maybe mentioning very briefly: Crystal Palace losing at home uh, a one-nil loss to Derby County. Uh, Derby County with Wayne Rooney starting, playing as a deep-lying midfielder. Uh, Dwayne Holmes does come in, almost gets an assist near the end of this one, which would have made me very happy. But yeah. Wayne Rooney. It's sort of like it didn't fly under the radar at all, but it just sort of like, oh, yeah, he's going to Derby. He's going to be like, I guess, a player coach or something like that. And it just sort of took until watching him to realize like, oh, no, that's a really big deal because Derby are kind of the launch pad for Frank Lampard. It feels like they're kind of happy to roll the dice and try some things when it comes to managers and coaches. And it feels like this role really suits him of kind of sitting in. He can dictate play. Uh, the match of the day folk kept calling him a, a quarterback, and it does seem like that's kind of the role he's going to take for Derby. And it seems like thus far... It, it has worked out. So I'm excited to see more of him in the limited amounts that we will for, uh, with Derby being in the championship. Uh, yeah. Currently 17th in the championship as well. So unlikely we see them getting promoted anytime to, uh, soon. They're one point behind Middlesbrough. But still, to uh, to get the result against Crystal Palace, uh, even with Crystal Palace getting a red card, I think it's still uh, a point of pride and a thing that Derby will be uh, more than a little pleased about. A point of pride park. Yeah, nice. there we go. Yeah, it all connects. Uh, any other FA Cup uh, uh, drama? Any other FA Cup games you want to talk about? Uh, I think I've had my fill. <laughs> I, th- I feel like you had your fill about five minutes into the show, <laughs> but uh, we, we, you know, it's always fun to find the interesting things. Rochdale really were the team that sort of I, I wanted to watch more of and learn more about. Uh, they were yeah. super fun, uh, but there was uh, some fun. Lots of goals in La Liga. Let's talk uh, all things La Liga, which is to say all things Real Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, wh- you want to start <laughs> with Real Madrid getting uh, all three points with three goals, or do you want to go to the Barcelona derby? Why don't we start with the Madrid the Catalonian derby. derby? Yeah, yeah, we got the Madrid one, of course. Hetafe, uh, of course, Real Madrid. Uh, mm-hmm. Real Madrid getting the three 0 win at Hetafe. Uh, Real Madrid now undefeated in fourteen games. Uh, Thibaut Courtois played a blinder in this one. Yes, he did. Uh, I don't think there's any dispute that Real Madrid are the best team in Spain right now. 
And despite the shortcomings we've seen this season, despite certain players not firing and despite uh, doubts over Zinedine Zidane's uh, capabilities, they're doing good. Well they done. are. Uh, and the, res- the result, <laughs> coupled with Barcelona's draw, which we're obviously going to talk about, uh, yeah. brings them to uh, 40 points level at the tapple table with Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona have the superior goal difference by two, but then also have the head-to-head. Or no, they don't have the head-to-head, do they? Because that one finished uh, go- goalless. So sure. we shall see how, how the rest of the season plays out. But things are very well poised for a dramatic run. And when you say they're the best team in La Liga, are you saying essentially like based on form and the way things seem to be going? Because they've got the two wins they've got uh, a couple draws in there but i do believe barcelona with roughly the same record over the last five games so what is it about madrid that you think puts them a little bit ahead of barca uh they're not terrible to watch <laughs> all right <laughs> i mean that, that's not a quantifiable way of making them better technically but they are not terrible to watch compared to barcelona who are just sort of pretty they're still still a bit turgid uh, under mm. valverde aren't they they really are, and and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that one. Uh, first, I just wanted to say I want to give thumbs up to uh, Federico Valverde for being unselfish for Madrid's third goal. Yeah. Uh, he's played in on the break, and then he does the FIFA goal of pulls the goalkeeper out, uh, kind of slots it with the outside of his foot over to Luka Modric, uh, who gets the third goal while getting tackled but still finishes. But it really thumbs up to Luka Modric because this is very late in the, in the game. Uh, Madrid already 2-0 up. You'd forgive Luka Modric if he had kind of stayed deep, sat back, didn't really press himself to get forward to be involved in this goal because they're already ahead that he puts in that level of energy to stay ahead of his defender to be there when the ball comes across I think it deserves a a thumbs up for sure Mm, I think very generous of Valverde I bet he takes his hello freshies nice and slow as well All right, well, let's talk Valverde for a moment because we have uh, Espanyol 2, uh, Barcelona 2, Espanyol hosting and not necessarily winning the Catalan Derby, but I think with the way things were when they went 1-0 ahead, then uh, Barcelona able to pull it back in the 50th, 59th minutes uh, with goals from Suarez and Vidal. It felt like in that moment, like, oh, we've seen this before. They're going to add one more. Messi will score one of his Messi goals. This is going to finish 3-1. to Instead, Wule comes in, uh, Chinese international in the 88th minute, gets the, the equal Equalizer, and it does pile on the pressure uh, for Ernesto Valverde, who, uh, as I saw today, I think now suddenly we're starting to see a lot more conversation about Pochettino again and how there still are questions about his connection to Espanol and would that factor, but that sort of it sounds like some obstacles have been cleared for potentially appointing Pochettino. I still don't think it happens, but it does seem like this result, uh, to your point, has maybe reminded people that Barcelona aren't the most fun to watch and maybe they would be a little bit more fun with somebody else in charge. Yeah, have you heard about the Poch parallels in this game as well? No. So, um, obviously, uh, coming into this game, Espanyol fired their coach uh, before the winter break, and uh, Abelardo Fernandez was in charge uh, with the team in the relegation zone. Uh, and the when uh, Pochettino was at Espanyol, when he faced uh, Barcelona in the 2008-09 season, they were also in the relegation zone, and they also got a draw. There's some parallels going <laughs> on. Right. So what we're okay. saying is that Fernandez is the new Pochettino and uh, he's going to be fantastic and he's going to get a job at Tottenham uh, sometime soon. But, All right. I yeah, look forward the, to that. This was, this was a, I thought it was a very entertaining game. I did not expect the result to go the way mm-hmm. it did. I thought this was pretty much a gimme for Barcelona because they, they have a good record against Espanyol. They, they have a good record at the uh, RCD Stadium, although they did lose in the Copa del Rey a couple seasons ago. Uh, and I, yeah, I just expected this to be a bit of a, a walkover. But this was one of those games where it's a, a nice reminder that when Leo Messi doesn't fancy it, Barcelona don't get up for it, basically. And 
I mean, even Luis Suarez didn't look like he was up for it for most of this game. And there, there was some interesting s- stuff going on in this game with with, with the tactics. And oh, but Wu Lei, Wu Lei, by the way, we could, we, um, I thought his goal was very good. That, that lovely first touch. And it seemed to be that goal came from Jordi Alba being drawn out of position. And he was involved in both of Barcelona's goals, but was at fault for that equaliser too. So an interesting game for him. And I think I'm right in saying that Wu Lei is kind of considered the Chinese Messi. He was kind of signed with a, a marketing angle as well. He came from Shanghai SYPG, where he has 169 goals, all-time top scorer for them. So he needs a second Chinese player in the league as well. Interesting stuff. So, uh, yeah, a, a good goal from him. He he celebrates minimally, which had me momentarily thinking, like, is he a former Barca player or something? But I think it was just kind of the occasion maybe overwhelmed him. Yeah. Uh, so credit to him. And again, as I said, credit to Espanyol for that fight back. But you, you're right that, like, with, with a lot of what you're saying, it does speak to certain vulnerabilities that have not been there with Barcelona previously. So Jordi Alba is always going to be a very, very attacking player. He's always going to be pivotal in what Barcelona are trying to do, especially when they're trying to hit on the break. But normally, when you have Barcelona, Barcelona that are the well-oiled machine Barcelona, there's people filling in for him. He doesn't necessarily get caught out, even when yeah. he's far forward, because there's cover. And I think little moments like they're not being cover in this game that leads to the goal, that, to me, stands out. That you don't see the kind of fluidity of passing and moving. You have it decently well for the Luis Suarez goal. It's a, it's a great ball in. He finishes with the instep in a way that doesn't seem possible, but he somehow finds a way to do, because he's Luis Suarez and very good at that. But aside from that, like like even that last, even the uh, the go ahead goal for Barcelona scored by Arturo Vidal, it's an amazing sort of Travella cross from Luis Suarez. But it's oh, a the moment of, of the boot, yeah, I love it. Yeah, but it's a moment of like individual brilliance and skill and awareness that like I don't know how to explain the difference here. But when it's a pass, pass, pass sequence, and then he does that and like splits two defenders, but Messi was already running off the ball and it ends up in a goal. It feels like oh, this is a rehearsed thing. This is a thing they've practiced. This is Barcelona kind of in their free flowing connected, good chemistry attack. Here, that it's Suarez sort of like having to figure it out and kind of improvise something. It's a great bit of skill and thumbs up to him for pulling it off. But it felt more like a, like, oh, he spotted somebody and he managed to make that happen and Mm -hmm. it ends in a goal. It didn't feel like, oh, this is a whole connected system and style of play. So I agree with you that even as they're scoring goals... It still doesn't quite like slam the door the way a twenty pass sequence ending in a Leo Messi turn and shoot from like like a tight angle, but knowing exactly where he is, that that would have felt more like oh, okay, we see the kind of juggernaut kicking into gear. Instead, yeah. we didn't really see that as much. And you're absolutely right; a big part of that was Lionel Messi. Like I think one of his best chances was a header, and like yes, he can score with his head, but that's not what you think of when it comes to what you don't want Leo Messi doing if you're a, an opposition team. I think you're more than happy to settle for him getting some headed chances as opposed to him dribbling in the box yeah he just plain didn't look that bothered in this game I think and I'll expand a little bit on what I said about Suarez as well because he's one of those players where uh, particularly in this instance if you only watch the highlights if you watch three minutes he looks amazing and he Mm. does all his little touches like that cross and stuff but if you watch a full game he's pretty inconsistent there's lots of poor touches there's loads of him just walking around not looking terribly interested and I know when you see Messi walking around not looking terribly interested, he's probably surveying and scanning everyone Terminator style and he's going to do something amazing uh, in, in a few minutes. But it didn't happen in this one. And I just thought there was it, it looked a little bit disjointed up there. And also when De Jong got the red card, Valverde, he took off Griezmann, who was mm. working pretty hard up there. Would another manager have had the stones to take off a Suarez or a Messi? So you've got your hardest working forward still on the field, do a 4 for one 
and you've still got someone who will track back because Messi and Suarez aren't tracking back, which is something you kind of yep. might need when you're a man down. Yeah. And they paid the price because they considered an equalizer. Oh, yeah. We sh- I should have mentioned that. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, Frankie de Jong getting his uh, second yellow for professional foul. He knew it was coming. As soon as he did it, you could see him sort of be like, oh, that's going to be a problem. And it was, it was a silly one as well. Yes, it was. Um, but, man, you know, it's really interesting. You're, you're totally right about Suarez. And I think a big thing is that he, his game is sort of built on margins. Not that he is marginal, but it's built on sort of knowing exactly where he needs to be or like he'll stand five yards offside knowing exactly how much the defense is going to drop when the ball is played in and I think he gambles a little bit and I think if you have a team that are sort of know like okay Luis is going to be doing this run at this time I know when to play it and they play him in at the exact right moment it really works and it suddenly puts him in acres of space I do think that first goal is a little bit of that it's it's, it's a sign that it's still there it's just when it's a little bit slowed down maybe that midfielder takes a touch or two they're not playing it in first time or second time or even third time then suddenly, instead of being perfectly onside, he's a yard offside when the ball comes to him. Or he's already made the run, and now he's kind of out of space or not in the right area he wanted to be when he does end up receiving it. And I think it just, again, it speaks to like things slowing down and not quite being as sort of vivacious as they've been under at Barcelona in years past. So this, this was a game for me that sort of did show a lot of the vulnerabilities and why. I've been wondering, like, but they're still top of the table. Why does everybody want Valverde gone? Or it seems like everybody does this. This game was a good reminder of sort of the uh, kind of vulnerabilities or the lack of strength that he's bringing to Barcelona. It is amazing to complain so much about a team who are top of the league, isn't it? But it's, I think, it's, yeah. it's just how it is. It's, it's, that's our level of expectation yeah. of this side. It's a tough life. It's a tough life. It's a tough life Barcelona <laughs> fans have. Um, we should mention one more uh, game, not exactly impactful from a scoreline standpoint. Uh, Milan with a nil-nil draw against Sampdoria. Not the result that either team would have been looking for, given that Milan are, are currently 12th, Sampdoria 16th. Uh, Milan, 22 points right now. They are 13 points outside of the Champions League spots. I doubt they're going to really have that as a realistic goal of closing that gap but if you've got Zlatan Ibrahimovic in your team maybe maybe you can uh he did not get a goal on this one Ryan what have you made of Zlatan's return to Milan it seems to be very popular my friend Daniela Matar who's an AP reporter in Milan said the roar was deafening when he was brought on in this game against Samp so he's getting a good reception he also a couple days ago played in a friendly uh, at the Milanella, I think at the training ground against Rodense, who are, uh, I, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> a, you have a local to say it just team. like that, in fact. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And Milan won that uh, friendly 9 0. Uh, Zlatan played the first half of that, got a goal and an assist. Uh, I watched it, it was exactly what you'd expect from a training ground kind of game. And he, <laughs> his, his goal was a tap in, and he had a nice assist. Uh, and. It'll be interesting to see if he can have an, an impact here. It's obviously a, a move that he, a club that he savors and a club that he wants to play for again. And I, I think he could, I think he could, uh, you know, get a goal or two. What do I know? That said, uh, when it comes to like clubs that Zlatan cares for and has a deep connection to, it doesn't mm. always necessarily work out that well. Uh, let's let's talk for a moment about uh, the Zlatan statue, shall we? Yeah, well, let's hope that Zlatan doesn't buy any shares in Inter Milan because he could get a similar reception uh, in Italy as he has done in in his native Sweden. His Mm -hmm. statue has been uh, vandalised several times. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. had its nose broken off. It's had things put on it. Uh, The worst damage has come now. It's been 
broken down. It's it snapped at the it snapped at the shin. No no footballer needs that kind of injury, but it's a uh, it's lying down sideways right now. It's 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 a sad sight to see, and this is because um, uh, Zlatan bought shares in a rival club to his uh his uh the, mm-hmm. the team that got him his start. I think it was Hammerby. I can't Hammerby, remember, it. but which, uh, but but basically uh, the the story that as I understand it from people who have maybe missed it is the Swedish FA wanted to erect a statue of Zlatan. Uh, I think initially there was talk that they would put it like in the national stadium or whatever their national stadium would be. Instead, it ended up being uh, put in front of the Malmo Stadium, where Zlatan first played. And I think that was that was received very well. Malmo fans were excited about that. That mm-hmm. coincided, I think, with around the time that he was thinking, there was talk that maybe he was going to go back to Malmo to finish out his career. So all things very rosy and happy. Then he invests in uh, Hammerby. I think he talks about how he wants to make them the biggest club in Sweden or something like that. That certainly does not go over well with Molda, who are now like have his statue there while he's talking about how great this other team are and that is where sort of the animosity comes from that it's a statue the Swedish FA put in Molda Stadium it was not the Molda ownership making that decision and then he goes and backs another team that is at least somewhat to blame slash mostly to blame for a lot of the vandalism and it eventually being torn down a la a dictator which is sort of odd it's sort of odd to see Zlatan in that way it did have shades of the dictator statue being pulled down, didn't it? Which is sad. What gets me is, you know, Swedish people, between all the drinking coffee, drinking hard spirits and being fabulously good looking, where do they get time for all this vandalism? <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe that's just it. Maybe maybe because they're, uh, the system is such as it is that they have the time to be able to pull down uh, dictators' latin statues. <laughs> dictators' latin. That's his yeah. new name on this show. There was a government sure. subsidy that allowed them to do it, I'm pretty sure. It's, it's statue... I, I can't even do fake Swedish enough to be able to come up with a fake word for pulling down a statue all in one go. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm having an Ikea kitchen fitted right now, so I'll go and get some Swedish words for you and I'll come all back right. to you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, good luck with your seven spare parts that are going to drive you crazy for the rest of time. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and I will actually say, uh, I want you to be able to focus on your kitchen and, and your, uh, your kitchen install. So, Ryan, uh, unless you have anything else to talk about, I, I suppose we could call it a day. Yeah, maybe. I'm just wondering, the magic of the FA Cup, I, was, I saw some magic in the air in my kitchen, but it might just be an asbestos dust floating around my house. I'm not <laughs> sure. Right, well, maybe that's affected uh, my mood today. If Ryan is not with us next week, then we know that's exactly what it was, but uh, hopefully he will be. Uh, but until then, Ryan, thank you very much for taking the time to talk FA Cup and Spain and a little Zlatan with me today. Always a pleasure, never a chore.